Hi, this is James Devine, and I am an educator who has come out of the trenches. Listen in as my friend and colleague Dana Goodyear shares stories and tips from other educators who have come out of the trenches. Welcome to the Out of the Trenches podcast. This is Dana Goodyear. Thanks for listening. My next guests are Demetrius Matthews and Thomas Kling. Demetrius Matthews is the founder of Legacy Media LLC. Demetrius had the vision to create something much bigger than himself. With one goal in mind, he developed Legacy Media, a platform that would allow him to create his own narrative and leave something behind that would withstand the test of time. Demetrius is a living example of how humble beginnings and rough adolescent years can transform into success and prosperity by being dedicated and working hard. His desire to leave his mark on the world and by creating award-winning documentaries that touch the minds and hearts of many is accomplishing what he's doing right now. In the West Side of Chicago, in the mid-80s, Thomas Kling was a 33-year-old teacher who vowed to transform the lives of dozens of students lost in the pressure cooker of drugs and racism. His profound and lasting impact now shines in a documentary created by the very lives he saved. In the documentary, we also feel his pain as a white teacher ashamed of how the affluent have mentally, financially, and emotionally suppressed people of color in order to make themselves feel entitled. Demetrius describes his documentary as a love story between a teacher and his students. In watching it, you'll understand why he filled the need felt the need to make it. Welcome to the podcast, both of you. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, I'll start off with the question I ask everybody, and we'll have Mr. Kling respond first. Tell me about a time when you were in the trenches and managed to crawl out. Um, geez. Not, not so many of them occurred when I was with Demetrius and the others. In fact, I can't think of a low point. I know that's hard to believe in three years with them, right? Um, I think I would say when, when my father died mm-hmm. in 91, he asked me the night before he died, he asked me if we would keep my mom out of an institution. My mom lived to nearly 107. I know that's also hard to believe. Yeah. And it was important to him that she stay non-institutionalized. And it was important to me as much as it was for him. And over the years when we kept her at home with Lewy body dementia, which is a terrible disease, um, we ran out of money. We ran out of money. Um, we ended up spending two and a half million dollars over 10 years. And I think one day in particular stands out. Um, I had made a sign on a pole, and I have to admit it was really beautifully made with a photo of my mom and the words something like, help keep my mom at home. And I would go mornings to expressway interchanges around Chicago and stand on exit ramps and entrance ramps and um, solicit funds for my mother's care. And I mean, this was really important to me. It became obsessive for me, right? Mm-hmm. 
And one day I was at the top of a ramp in Northbrook mm -hmm. on Lake Cook Road, and a car stopped. Man. And they, um, the guys in it seemed like they were going to give me money. Mm -hmm. And I, I've worn my Black Lives Matter button since Trayvon Martin back in, I believe, 12, down in Florida, right? They saw the button as I reached in to gather what I thought would be funds. And the one um, fiercely spat at me in my face. And... Uh, That, that stands out as, as a really discouraging moment for me in terms of society, in terms of individual largesse. Um, that was a bad, was a bad time. And my, you know, my mother ended up staying at home, mm -hmm. living the rest of her life at home. We were able to somehow gather the money together. And, uh, she would die of COVID in the hospital. So ironic. Yeah. With, with her Lewy body dementia, you know, we 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 brought her her last visit to the hospital in March of March of twenty twenty. She had bilateral pneumonia, and um, the doctors told me at Glenbrook Hospital in Glenview, not far from here, they said, you know, you can either keep her here or take her home. If you keep her here, you know, this is right at the beginning of the COVID frenzy right we don't know where the COVID is we know it's here when he said if you take her home she might survive the pneumonia we don't know <laughs> and we kept her in the hospital and that's where she died of COVID. 10 years after the saga basically 10 years after the saga began mm -hmm. it's pretty incredible an incredible piece is you were able to keep her home get the funds eventually to take care of her at home. It was, it was the crusade. Um, I was a sickly kid. I got sick from everything when I was a child. Uh, my mom, though stern, typically German, she was born in Stuttgart, uh, was just the greatest caretaker. I could have ever wanted and uh i had to do what i did you know there, yeah. there were no choices here at all yeah, yeah. so it yeah that that was profound mm -hmm. it was profound you know like, and then afterward um, seven weeks later uh, my my first cousin whom I had taken care of since my dad got sick in 88. I had taken care of one he, mentally ill, extremely mentally ill, mm -hmm. extremely ill. I had taken care of him for 32 years mm -hmm. until 2020. I was the only one he would allow to take care of him. And he was in an institution in Lincolnwood Yard. Um, seven weeks after my mother passed, he passed away from the same illness. And I don't know, I, the two deaths still haunt me to an extent because I could have taken him out of 
the senior citizen's home where he mm-hmm. where he died. Um, forty three people. Forty three people on his floor had contracted COVID before Vaughn contracted it. And maybe half of them had died. And I couldn't get into the place because, you know, everything was corded off, right? And, uh, but I could have asked for him to leave. Yeah. In, in, you know, in in view of all of the sickness that was there already, I didn't. And he died too of COVID. And I don't know, I still, I still blame myself to some extent Mm -hmm. for not getting him out, getting him out, you know. I've had a good life, you know. I mean, I've yeah, I've had a as far as trenches and vicissitudes, all that stuff. Um, I don't know them too well, you know. I just, I just don't. I, I will tell you though that, and I'll be emotional here. Just the other guy in this tape. He himself was a high point in my life. I had him as a student for three years. Certainly his classmates were high points in my life. But I'll tell you this. I've known Demetrius now for since 1985 when he entered my middle school classroom. Mm -hmm. 15. She's 37 years. Sometimes more intensely than at others. I was just thinking as we were waiting to start this. He's the finest man I've ever met. I'm not exaggerative here. He is the finest man I have ever met. And I know what he's thinking. Ah, shucks, Mr. Kling. No, Ashok. Unequivocally. Unequivocally. The best man I've ever met. And that includes my father. And that's saying something. Wow, wow. Well, Demetrius, mutual admiration society here for sure. Yeah, no, that's such a such a you know admiration, mutual admiration for 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 both of you. I know I talked to Demetrius uh, prior to this recording, and he had you know so many good things to say about you. And uh, Demetrius, tell me about a time, and this could be as a student yourself or as a filmmaker, a time that you were in the trenches. Wow, wow, yeah, that's that's. I think the time I could like one of the lowest points of my life was it was a low, but then it was a very, very uh, teaching moment. Yeah. A learning, uh, it was a learning point. So was that uh, I think it was poss- probably like my junior year of high school. Mm. During the junior year of high school, my mom took me out of school because I was being I was beaten by the police. Mm-hmm. Uh, they pulled they they uh, despite the school police. And so they 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 saw me having a hundred dollars and pulled me into the room and they said they accused me of being a drug dealer and they they beat me up in front of the uh the vice president. And the, I told them that my mom gave it to me to get my uh to get my uh brakes fixed for my car at the school. Yeah. And they called her and they say, Yeah, your son said you gave him a hundred dollars. Just a hundred dollars. That's it. Just one hundred dollars. And um and she said, Yes, I did. And then they laughed and hung up the phone on her. She said, like she's his mom sounds like she's twelve. 
and hung up the phone and then proceeded to beat me. And so uh, later, I mean, she was worried. My mom was hysterical, so she was mm-hmm. worried. But anyway, eventually, she took me out of uh, she took me out of the school. She just took me out, and she said, "Well, you can just maybe get a diploma somewhere else to go to another school or, or just mm-hmm. get a church degree." And so when they when she took me over to uh, some center to take the test for a GED, I passed it like I exceeded it, and they looked at the scores and they said, "Wow," and they said, "But oh, you have to be 17. Mm-hmm. to receive a GED so you can't receive a GED yeah. and the school refused to give my transcripts over so that junior year I was pretty much didn't go to school because uh, I couldn't go to school mm-hmm. and I had to wait until I was 17 to go back and get my diploma or take another test and so during that time in the west side of Chicago I was pretty much in the streets where it was just like just hanging out most of my friends were still in school some were out of school but Hanging with me, they started to come out of school. Uh, but but the point that I'm trying to make with maybe um, my lowest point in life is that I knew that I was really, really out here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I lost hope. I was just angry. You know, I was angry because the school I went to, I felt like I was targeted. Uh, and uh, coming from Mr. Clean's class where three consecutive years of someone really caring about you, but also too, like I wanted to please. And, um, and the, the things that he taught us so much, so much. I mean, we were in debating class. We were doing debates. He was teaching us at a college level. It was almost, it was almost like he was our professor. Mm-hmm. You know, we debated, you know, we, we studied about, we learned about terrorism. We learned about, you know, drugs, drugs crack i mean in the beginning of the epidemic i mean the culture i ran i mean the scandal i mean we discussed so many current event topics and he also had us playing devil's advocate so it was just that i understood things on a different level more of a higher level than most people my most of my peers once i was out in the streets and then uh one day i was pulled over uh by the police because my music was playing too loud and uh, and they took me to jail for that. And so um, I was in the jail and I was sitting in the cell and uh, they kept me overnight for that, for playing mm-hmm. music too loud. But only thing I kept hearing in my head was my mom, mm-hmm. my uncles telling me, well, you're going to be a statistic. Uh, yeah. I thought about Mr. Clay. I saw some of my classmates that I haven't seen forever in there. And it was, mm-hmm. I was at a place where it's like, I don't want to end up like this, yeah. you know? And, and, uh, and at that point, at that moment, I had changed. Mm-hmm. I'd seen things differently. I didn't, uh, I was ready to get out, but I knew I had to get out of Chicago. And I eventually, uh, moved out of Chicago and then, um, enrolled back into school to finish my last year of high school and my senior year. It was only like about three months. Of mm-hmm. schooling that I needed because I had all my credits. And then the principal, the vice principal and the counselor, they pulled me into the room and they said that, you know, originally we weren't going to accept you uh, because you came from Chicago. And of course you have, you know, you know, a history uh, with mm-hmm. your the school that you went to, you know, with your record and everything, but you don't seem like how they made you out to be. And it, and they said you seem obviously very intelligent. Um, just the testing, your grades are exceeding well. 
you know, like highest in the school. He, and he said that we want to sponsor you for a scholarship. Wow. You know, and uh, yeah, so it, it, and so I went to school. I started college, you know, from there. But the, but the, but the point is, is that everyone asks, how did I make it out of Chicago? Mm-hmm. How did I make it out? And is that, and I, and I always go back into the classroom besides my parents, it was Mr. Clank. It was the mm-hmm. class that we took from him because mm-hmm. he prepared us for so many things that I had no idea that I would be facing, you know, but those, those, t- those lessons really came in handy and that gave me the equipment mm-hmm. that gave me the, that gave me the tactics that gave me the skills to compete, you know, and to survive because most of my peers, they didn't, they weren't, they didn't read, you know, they didn't have the knowledge. They didn't, they didn't have the, uh, I was always writing. I was always reading. I was always thinking, you know, so they didn't have those skills to fall back on when the streets let you down, when, when, when the streets have you pinned up against the wall. And so that's what made, that's what, you know, helped me make it out. And so that's what always put in my mind that I'll have to always go back to think about those times, you know, and to, to thank him for that because he gave, he gave me the gear that I needed to survive that, that urban jump mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that was that was my trenches <laughs> yeah yeah well that um kind of segues into my next question about uh what made you want to make a movie about mr cling uh once you became a filmmaker and had had it been something that you've been thinking about for many years before it actually took place i i, I this wasn't going to be the movie this uh-huh. was I, I, my mom was a poet, you know, and, uh, I wrote poetry. I, I wanted to write a book. Uh-huh. I might always to write a book about our story about Mr. and about Mr. Clay. Okay. And, 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 uh, so I think about maybe six to seven, maybe six years ago, we invited him out to pizza and I say, mm-hmm. Mr. Clay, I want to write a, I want to write a story about it. I want to write a mm-hmm. book about it. And Mr. Clay, he paused, they hesitated and said, he looked at him and he said, if anyone write a story, a book about me, I want it to be you. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, so I laughed and, you know, we talked and everything, but I always had it in my mind. Yeah. But, um, but so what happened with the film is that I wasn't a filmmaker until I made this film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I wasn't called a filmmaker until I made this film. And so how it started is that I, I have previous, I have cinematography experience. I have camera experience. I love cinematography. I love the cameras. Uh, I used to own, I, I, I started some music and video recording studios for kids to keep them out of trouble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Young kids growing up, like I was growing up, I, I, I put these music and recording studios in the malls so that they could come in and record and make their own videos and make a, you know, and, and make their music, you know, for like $75, they can have a whole album pretty much. Mm-hmm. And that kind of gave the kids that something to do and get them off the streets. And also I did it for my relatives, my nephews and my cousins, you know, if I could draw their energy to take them out of the streets, to put them into something that they would like to do, you know, I, it's the win-win. So I did that for many years. So I had the experiences working with cameras and kind of directing their videos and stuff. So, and I always had a passion for creating, you know, on the art side. So, um, but when it occurred, I had an, 
um, a tragedy in my family where I was, my nephew, he, we, he was taken from us, you know, uh, from gun violence. And so it just made me pause. And I said, and he had so much talent. He had so much to give to the world. And he was also an artist that I was helping produce it. And so, uh, and uh, it changed me. Yeah. You know, it changed me and says like, well, I can't, I'm not, I, I just think so much talent go away. So I was like, you know, he has so many things to do and he wasn't able to do it. And I say, you know, I'm going to stop right here. I'm going to take a break from everything. And I'm going to focus on everything I need to do. You know, I just do it, you know. So I called up Mr. Kling. I say, Mr. Kling, I would like to do a documentary on you, you know. And uh, he was like, okay. <laughs> so I put an ad out at Craigslist and uh, say, I want to hire some videographers and some uh, photography guys. Okay. I packed up my car with my uh, film equipment that I had. I had all the film equipment, the camera equipment. And I packed up my little brother who was 16 years old. I taught him how to use the camera. And we drove to Chicago. We filmed Mr. Clean for like three days, four days. Okay. And then we drove around the city and got B-roll and things like that. And so we put it all together from there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and I just kind of, originally I just thought, you know, my class, we always stick together. We always have these class reunions and we always meet up with Mr. Clean. And I just originally say, well, I'm going to have this as a YouTube video. You know, yeah. we can put it on online and we yeah. have, you know, and Mr. Clean can live forever. He can be immortalized, you know, <laughs> and we can have it. So if someone says, how did you make it out to Chicago? We can say, here's the video, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, we ended up putting a piece of this video and my assistant Jerome, he also, um, he helped edit the video as well. And so, uh, and I recruited him by the college. So this is just, you know, we were just all working together, you know, and, uh, and it came out so beautiful. Mm -hmm. It came out so beautiful. We worked and we were just, it's, it, we edited this video for about maybe six months, six mm -hmm. to eight months mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of just editing and just making sure. And, uh, it came out so beautiful. I'm like, wow. And so one day I was having lunch, um, downtown. And I passed, oh, I passed this uh, place. It was, uh, it's, it was called Twin Cities Film Festival. And I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, what do you, so I walked in there and it was lunchtime. I had the joggers suit on and, uh, they say, oh, we, we're Twin Cities Film Festivals. We, we host movies, you know, for filmmakers. I said, how do I said, okay, I have a movie. And then the course, the lady looked at me like, <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> well, sorry, but, uh, it's over. It, it, it's a week past the deadline, so it's yeah. too late to have a film. I say, just give me two minutes. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I showed her the trailer of the film, you know, of, of Clean. And Mr. Clean came on, and he was like, you know, I would tell you that you're going to be judged by the way you speak and by the way you write, you know? And that's those two minutes. Her, she almost like she was pulled into my phone uh, right uh, and she was like whoa and then the director he was in his office he came out because he overheard it. he said i don't at first i didn't know what was going on i didn't know if i should call the police <laughs> because he didn't leave you're very persistent uh, <laughs> but i heard can i see the trailer again 
And I showed them the trailer again. And they said, well, send us the link. Mm -hmm. And I sent them the link to the film. They say, okay, well, it's past the deadline, but we're going to try to get you in. They called okay. me the next day, the, the other the other director and say, yeah. And we were in, and we were nominated to one of the best films in Twin Cities. Wow, wow. It just kind of happened. You went into the office. And <laughs> yeah, it was all the vibe. And so I get in there, and now I'm around all of these filmmakers. Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I own the IT consulting firm, so I I'm come from the business computer program yeah, side. Yeah. You know, and so I'm in there, and, and they say, "Yeah, this is the feature as a filmmaker of Clay," and I'm like, "Whoa, I'm a filmmaker!" <laughs> and yeah. so I've been a filmmaker ever since. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, that kind of that you know, I would say happened happened by accident, but you know, they saw yeah. you had uh, quality material they really wanted to have at the festival, and the rest is history. So. Uh, yeah. You mentioned a little bit, Demetrius, how uh, you were connected uh, with Mr. Clank throughout the years by uh, reunions. Um, but was there a period of time uh, where you all weren't connected and and kind of um, how did you get reconnected those many years later, um, you know, and, and, and decided to rebuild your relationship? Or was there a continuous connection? How, how, how did that occur? Um, there was a connection because we were... See, you see, that's the, the our classroom was was more like a family. Okay. You know, so we grew up with each other for those three years. Those three years seemed like it was maybe ten years. Okay. So, you know, Mister Clean. At I mean, he he was there all over, and every one of the students he had a direct relationship with. Okay. You know, so there was not any time that I remember. You know, I would move on to to Minneapolis. And grow, but I would talk to Elroy or Israel and mm -hmm. Elroy and Israel and Jamie's black. They would keep in touch with Mr. Clean. Like, oh, you talked to Mr. Clay? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, Mr. Clay, you need to help pack us up and help me move to New York, you know? Okay. Okay. Like, oh, you know, we all should get together. So I don't really remember a time that maybe like the first few years I was in Minneapolis that we probably didn't okay. talk because we were all kind of going to school and finishing college and things like that. But after college in our mid twenties, you know, we kind of all, you know, begin to gather back around and find each other. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So definitely, um, you know, lifelong relationship with the teacher you had in middle school. It's uh, not something that really, you know, a lot of uh, students and teachers maintain that relationship, but really uh, groundwork for for um, a great documentary yet. Uh, I wanted to ask both of you about just the importance of education and having teachers that make a difference like Mr. Kling. How how important is that in the upbringing of our children today? This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get back to the episode. Give an obvious answer. I shall. Um, I'll just localize this to our culture. We are in, we are in a, a state of trauma. Yeah, yeah. Um, not just now, but when I was with Demetrius and Batman. You know, I'm a patriot. Mm -hmm. I mentioned that to somebody today, not in the traditional sense. I want a better country. 
while I'm still here. Mm -hmm. If I can't have one world with one government governing the eight billion here, I want a better country that I call mine, right? So with all the frenzy and the trauma, this and that, I think that, you know, a good school environment with teachers will, frankly, at some point um, during the lives of students, teachers who have a social agenda. And I don't mean that just for people who are marginalized. I mean a social agenda for everyone so that all young people can understand why things now here are as they are. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, you know, teachers can make all the difference, maybe even more today than when I went to school, you know. Um, we need to be rescued. That's how I look at it. Um, you know, I grew up, I, I was a classmate um, of Merrick Garland, the attorney general, right? We were friends when I was in Lake Edward School. I came out of this rather ideal environment. My dad was a businessman. My mom could stay home. We lived in an upper middle class community. All the benefits of the best education that were available to me, right? Um, Yet, at a very young age, you know, I I became sensitized to yeah. all of the stuff I saw, all of the disequilibrium and all that, you know. Mm-hmm. I had incredible teachers when I was young. Um, not that I kept in touch with them through decades, mm-hmm. but, you know, they... I, I brought, was brought up in a Jewish community. Lincoln was predominantly Jewish when I was young. I, I wasn't. I'm not. But the people in that school system, the administrators and the teachers and certainly the parents, they pushed fairness. They pushed equality mm-hmm. beyond the Jewish experience mm-hmm. into all facets of our culture, of the people who live in it and lived in it then. Um, I was so blessed. I didn't realize it. You know, I forget it. You know, white privilege. We talked about that. What was that about? I was so privileged. Travel. You know, we were we were always traveling. You know, Central America, the Caribbean, Europe. You know, my parents, my dad's from Sweden, my mom from Germany. You know, it's like, but everybody had it. I thought everybody. You know, I mean, yeah, everybody has this, right? My teachers really made it made an impact on me. Not all, but quite a few of them. Not so much in terms of spelling or arithmetic, because I could have grasped that on my own, either of those, right? But about a social agenda, about fairness in our country, about adhering to the ideals that we have never realized. Mm-hmm but that we're still capable of realizing, you know? I'm 72 in three weeks. I'd like to um, check off this planet, check out, mm-hmm. knowing that there are better times ahead. Yeah. Knowing that I made a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, 
in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so, I'm just so dissatisfied with the society around me. Not all aspects of it, of course. Teachers make a big difference. They can. Mm-hmm. I saw that in Lincolnwood, you know. I saw that in Lincolnwood. We, we discussed, you know, a lot, a lot of the parents of my classmates were first-generation Americans. They had come over. They had escaped. They had escaped from Europe. Or they had escaped with their parents and come here, right? We spoke a lot about the Jewish experience in the world through millennia, right? But that led into um, black black relations, brown relations, relations of all the marginalized people in the United States. And my teachers promoted that. Again, not all, but a lot of them did. Even when I was like fourth, fifth grade, you know, equality, parity, fairness under the law, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, and maybe more today than ever. We we need an emphasis on those things. Yeah. 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 And and for people like know. you, yeah, that that really embraced kids and um, you know, pulled out the best of them and they found their talents. Uh, you know, we need more teachers like that. Demetrius, uh, what's your take on uh the question of just looking at students today and how do we uh better prepare them for the future uh to leave uh, you know the world in a better place than what we currently have well i think i think uh i think it's a it's a it's a tough question yeah that's a very tough question but i think the solution is very very simple yeah uh being it uh growing up further in minneapolis and seeing very wealthy neighborhoods yeah um very sophisticated school. Um, down the street from us, there's the high school that looks like a college campus, mm-hmm. with all the books, all the all the computers, all the technology, all the resources that that any kid would ever need. You know, and uh, and the difference is the demographic of the neighborhood or the community. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that we need to streamline the education, the schools where. Mm-hmm. Every school, if we're all Americans and we're all up to this country, right? And we we are all taxpayers, but these schools should be streamlined. Where a school in Oak Park, Illinois, should be the same as school in South Chicago. You know, have the same resources, have the same technology, have the same opportunities available for every student. And that's how you change and you fix you fix a whole lot of the things. You fix poverty uh, because I grew up on the west side of Chicago. Poverty, you know, when people were really, you know, and uh, education saved me. Not only saved me, but it saved about thirty other of my classmates. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, I talked to so many teachers uh, that teaches in the inner city, and they all say the same things: there's no resources. There's very limited resources. There, these children need so much more than just education. When they're coming to school, hungry, uh, they come from uh, dysfunctional situations and environments where they need extra care. They don't have just the basic needs of or or personal hygiene items. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, so those things need to look at because if you could, if you could corner that, the kids are our future. You know, these these kids are the ones going to be running the country. How can we compete? How can we compete against China? How can we compete against India or Eastern European countries? You know, because they're educating their whole country. You know, where we're only choosing to educate a certain segment of our population of our country. Such so and, and it's still so a simple solution. You know, just like our military, when we go to war, when we build our army up, we don't give a small segment of our army uh, sophisticated weapons just because of the color of the skin. Mm-hmm. And they're going out to fight, and they're going to defend, and they're going to go and, and, um, and invade other countries or whatever, with, with, with whatever war does. You see what I'm saying? They're equipping the entire army. And the entire military was sophisticated mm-hmm. weapons. So we need to we need to equip our kids with sophisticated education and technology and resources so we can compete because right now we're not and we're losing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I see it from a business standpoint. You know, and I tell people, I tell my nephews, my nieces, and everyone in my family, I say, if you're making twenty five dollars an hour or under or even or even thirty dollars an hour in ten years, there's not gonna be any there's not going to be any job for you. They're all going to be replaced by computers. You're going to go to McDonald's and there's going to be one person just looking over the machine to make sure the machines operate right. You know, yeah. so the, the only way out is education and we're just doing a very, very poor job. This country is doing a very, very poor job uh, providing the proper education for our kids. Yeah, you hit it on the nail there with the funding. Uh Governments uh, not sending funds in the right direction necessarily, and that's been going on since you know you and I were in 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 uh, grade school and and before. And like you said, it's uh, yeah, it's having um, equal access to resources. Yeah, as you mentioned, right? It's not just for the wealthy neighborhoods um, or the charter schools, right? And that's um, yeah, it's really making sure that the tax money is spread evenly. Um, well, we've had a great discussion today. I wanted to ask you, Demetrius, where can people stream the movie? And if teachers are interested in showing Kling, um, would that be an appropriate film to show in middle schools or high schools? Absolutely. Yeah. It's like Mr. Kling said, you know, it, it's a love story. It's a love story with uh, a teacher and the students. Yeah. You know, uh, it is on available on Amazon. Amazon Prime uh, movie or video, and is also available on Tubi. So if you just look up Clink, a teacher who defied the system, mm-hmm. you know, you can sure show the kids. I think it's really good to, for kids to see the movie because you see how much uh, a teacher is loved by his students, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, it shows how we connect with each other and what we've learned. And also, it, it also I think it liberates the kids too, where it's you see it's okay to learn, yeah, and you know, it's okay to to be smart because we were considered nerds. I mean, we were teased. <laughs> yeah. we were, I can't think we were bullied because it's coming from a na- a rough neighborhood. Everyone fights. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so we were fighting all the time, you know, and and so, but it also just kind of like it shows how we prevailed. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, so definitely appropriate. We've we've actually we showed we had showings of this uh, film uh, for one of my classmates, 
uh, Eric Stolo in uh, his school. Uh, yeah, that Mr. Clean came to speak to. So Mr. Clean, <laughs> he came to speak to the students and uh, and the faculty, staff, teachers, everyone. And uh, that was great. I was uh, tuned in uh, by uh, online satellite Zoom. Yeah, so that was great. But yeah, highly encouraged. To, I would like every teacher in the country to watch this film, you know, because I realized that this is not just our story. It's not just Mr. Clean's story. It's the teacher's story. And then if you really look at it, it's a it's a country story. Yeah. You know, Mr. Clean, he said it best. He said, we made the problem of this country. <laughs> yeah. Well, out of everything we talked about today on the podcast, uh, what's one thing each of you would like listeners to remember? We'll start with you, Mr. Clay. Regarding what we've we've spoken, you no, know, we've got this dichotomy in this country more than in any other country, yeah. where you've got, you know, literally under five percent of the population controlling eighty percent of the wealth. Okay, mm-hmm. it's untenable. I start there, Tom Hartman. I don't know if you ever listened to him. He's on Progressive Radio. He wrote a book on um, the dysfunctionality of the United States. Mm -hmm. And of everything that stems from this dichotomy of unbelievably rich and then unbelievably poor, all the things that come from it, mental illness, criminal activity, suicide, um, uh, mistreatment of others, um, hopelessness, fear, mental illness, I think I mentioned that already, that unless unless we somehow build a bridge between freedom, i.e. the free market and socialism, we have to get a middle ground there. I know that's difficult. But I think we have to work for that because what we have going on right now with schools that are so impoverished and others that are ridiculously affluent and well-funded, it ain't going to work. It's just not... I'm forgetting about mathematics. I'm forgetting about science. I'm forgetting about debating for a moment. Um, if you've got to have a larger middle ground in your culture and your society yeah. for for it to function. Um, you know, all of this stuff, all the mass shootings and all this, I, I tell my friends, don't don't look at the individuals. You know, look at the system that perpetrated that. All right? The highly competitive system, right? Competitive um, vis-a-vis cooperative. We're so competitive. We're so ridiculously competitive. And, you know, it's the problems here are endemic. They've been endemic since we since we were created as a as a nation. I don't think enough emphasis at all is given to the disparities between and among social groups. What once once you're able to ameliorate that problem. Mm-hmm. I think other things will fall in line and eventually you'll probably have a better society than the one we have now. Mm-hmm. But it's going to take a lot of unity. It's going to take a lot of foresight. It's going to take a lot of 
understanding of what this damn country has been through, what we yeah. what we have perpetrated upon ourselves. Mm-hmm. I'm just I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I think about I think about Demetrius. I think about all the others in that that very special group, almost divinely joined together. It was, I mean, I taught for 33 and a half years in the schools in Chicago. I had good classes pretty often. I had nothing like their, their class, nothing like it. Um, and as I said in the video, you know, there are times when I get terribly down on myself, even at this age. You know, I haven't been able to. Uh, anyway, and what do I think about often when I need to elevate myself? Yeah. To where I actually have been for the most part. I think about them. Mm-hmm. I think about that group and what, forget about what I gave them, what they gave me. As I said in the video, a sense that I was worthwhile. I think teens, young teens, teaching me what I should have known already, mm-hmm. that I was worthwhile and competent and required. So whatever, I, I, th- I just... I just think that we've got so much work to do here. I, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I'm, you know, I don't. I, I just don't know. I don't know where to start. I don't know how to answer some of these questions because it's the, yeah. the abyss is so deep and it's so precipitous yeah. and it's like. I'll, I'll tell you this though. I'll tell you this much. I, I worked on the campaigns of Obama. Mm-hmm. Two of them. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, um, juxtaposing the trenches with something incredible in my life, if you would ask me what was one of the incredible things that happened to you in mm-hmm. that November in 08 when Obama mm-hmm. addressed the throngs in Grand Park, Chicago. That was though it had nothing to do with my my nuclear family or anyone else in my family. That was an approach to a better future for all the world. Yeah. I was so emotional that night. I, I had a chance to go down to Grand Park. I didn't. Um, I watched from home, you know, and We have to, we have to move away from all the endemic racism. The racism here is, you know, I'm sensitive to it every day. I I pick up things that maybe others might not. It's so deep. No matter what politicians say about improvements, social religions, it's so deep here. And unless that's rectified, frankly, not just with black people, brown, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we what we do until we come to a point where we we like here. Okay, I talk a lot. Right? Sorry. 
Um, you know, I for a couple of days before police stopped me twice in one day, mm-hmm. I had a Black Lives Matter bumper sticker on my car mm-hmm. that was magnetized. Okay. okay. I knew where to use it. This is five years ago. I knew where to use it. Mm-hmm. Whatever, you know. And I was here in Evanston parking my car with the bumper sticker on mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter. And a young black man walked over to me. And we started to talk, and he he applauded me for my enlightenment. Okay. And he ended our conversation by saying, almost verbatim, all we want to do is be valued. Mm-hmm. This is like a 15-year-old guy yeah. talking about these, these vast considerations. All we want to do is be valued. We want to be valued. We want to feel like we're worthwhile. And how many kids in this country don't feel that way, intrinsically or otherwise? You know, it's like you got to make people feel like they're important, that they matter. And when we do that, and when that time comes, um, because of our incredible diversity that no nation perhaps will ever match, combine the diversity and and putting high value on each members of that culture, our culture, you'll see a vastly different society here. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so uh, I talk a lot there, but no, no, you, yeah. you know, we bring out the point there with it's such value. Yeah. You know, I, I think of my childhood, I think of the opportunities I've had without earning them, as I put in the video, without earning anything. I didn't, I, I was blessed, you know, I was blessed to be white. Mm-hmm. You know, in the 1950s, 60s, when I was coming up, I mean, to be white from a, an affluent community, go to a good college, you know, man, I didn't earn any of that. Yeah. None of it. We need parity here. We need parity in terms of how we value our people's and then like i said maybe everything else will sort of sort of fall in line mm-hmm. it'll take decades it'll take maybe it'll never happen i don't know yeah yeah well that's to be seen um you know yeah. i really you know appreciate you sharing um you know your your concerns and you know we do have these these high points and these low points um Demetrius, what would you say is what the you'd like listeners to remember from our conversation? Uh, I think that um, I think I would like listeners to remember that this whole film, this project, mm-hmm. it's all been divinely guided. You know, it led me to a place to discovering um, becoming a filmmaker and having having so much uh, satisfaction mm-hmm. from producing this film, it led me to just, I want to do more. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're also, we're, I'm writing, we're writing the uh, drama, a book mm-hmm. off of the, uh, the times that we spent with Mr. Plain. Okay. For after turning that into a drama series, I started working on a book for that. And we're also uh, going to make a clean part two. Because when Mr. Kling left Douglas and we graduated, he went through 
a whole other different um, series. There was a whole different series of events that happened mm-hmm. after that, which was just as great as they were when he was teaching us. Mm-hmm. And I didn't learn uh, all of these things uh, until we were making a documentary. I didn't know that he was having challenges at home in his personal life with his wife and his family, you know, because of the time that he was spending with us trying to be our teacher as well as our professor and many times parent. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know that there was so many other uh, hidden hands and that he was going against when it came to the administrative staff, you know, with the principal, well, not right, Douglas principal, but many of the uh, other principals that he dealt with once he left Douglas, you know, and uh, I didn't know he was blackballed, you know, having the principal's degree, went back to school for the, with the principal's degree, and he couldn't find a job in any public school uh, because he was, you know, he was shadow banned. He was mm-hmm. blackballed. So we didn't know that there was a couple students, there was one student reached out to me and say, I've been looking for Mr. Clean for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And he sent the email. He said that I stumbled on uh, his name in this film and you were tied to it. I'm not sure if you ever received this email, but I will, if you talk to Mr. Clean, I would like for you to pass a message to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he said that Mr. Clean changed his life. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, Mr. Clean talked about subjects that no other teachers would dare to speak about. And so I called Mr. Clean. I'm like, what is he talking about? And Mr. Clean said, well, I was given the part to, uh, I, I needed the job and I went back to, I, I needed the money. You know, my wife, Trish left me and, um, he, I was down. He was depressed, you know? So he, the principal kind of smirkingly gave him a job as heading over the library program. And he took that library program in Mr. Clean fashion and turned that those 200 books that he had to like, they, probably processed 1.5 million books. Mm-hmm. True. And he had, true. He had uh, puppet shows that debated and I mean he touched so many other children's lives. You know he had his own battles with more principals uh-huh. because he wanted to teach and, and reach you know more students and he uh-huh. and so it's like oh I mean I, I just think he's an angel you know oh, and, yeah. and so I just think that there's so many layers to this and I think I found my calling. I'm doing what I, I love what I'm doing before business. I love business. Don't get me wrong, but this is filmmaking and, and making films about the education, the school system, the teachers and Mr. Kling is so fulfilling. Uh, it's, it's, it's peaking right now as far as like the number one thing that I really, really want to do more of. Yeah. And so yeah. And th- he's, and I know that, there, he's not the only one out there. Yeah, there are other freedom fighters. There's other teachers out there that's fighting in the trenches. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You well, know, and I want to yeah. talk about that, and I want to see, and I want to share this message, and and maybe we can start, you know, uh, a, a change of thinking, you know, and a revolution with teachers, <laughs> and we could change the school system and to make it better. Uh huh. Uh huh. Well, for people who want to know more about your company and connect with you and follow your work, Demetrius, where can they find you online? Well, Legacy Media, Legacy Media is online, Legacy Media uh, Film, 
no, actually, LancasterMedia.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find us there. Um, and uh, we also have, we're on Twitter as okay. uh, Legacy Media. You can follow us on Twitter as well as Instagram, Legacy Media on Instagram. Okay. okay. Well, I'll make sure to put that in the show notes. Well, I've had a great time speaking with both of you on the podcast today. And I, you know, I hope this makes an impact and will uh, be a film that teachers uh, that are listening will uh, show in their classes and view and, you know, I'm excited 